Hi, everybody. Thanks for listening to One True Pod. I'm your host, Max Olson. If you like this show and you want to keep listening, you can now find us in the Andy Staples and Friends podcast feed. Go down to today's show notes, click the link, and be sure to subscribe to that feed if you want to keep listening to us moving forward. We will be there every Thursday, myself, Jason Kersey, and Sam Con Jr., along with our other shows, Football and Grits, Power Hour, Andy and Ari, and plenty more college football content. So thank you for listening, and we will see you over there on the Andy Staples and Friends podcast feed. Welcome back to another edition of One True Pod, now on the Andy Staples and Friends feed. Hopefully you found us over here. Uh, if, if you've been a loyal One True Pod listener, thank you for uh, making the jump. Uh, if you haven't listened to our podcast, uh, One True Pod, the Athletics Big 12 podcast for now, you can listen. You can still find those previous episodes uh, on the One True Pod feed uh, on Apple or wherever you get your podcast, where we talk about uh, certainly the, the crisis in the Big 12 and everything that's been everything else that's been going on this summer. But uh, here we are, fellas. Uh, I good to see you. I'm joined as, as always by Jason Kersey, our Oklahoma expert, and uh, Sam Con Jr., our tech expert. So good morning, fellas. Oklahoma expert doesn't quite roll off the tongue the same way, does it? Unfortunately, <laughs> Oakspert. Oakspert. Oaks, I like Oakspert. Oakspert. Okay. Yeah, uh, we can go with that. We didn't. Yeah, it's true. We didn't. Yeah, we, we probably could workshop that a little bit. <laughs> How are you guys doing today? I'm good, good man. man. I'm, just chugging along, getting ready, getting ready for football season. We're only a few weeks away now. It's it's August twelfth. We got what sixteen days till the first actual game till week zero, and then we've got another week after that until we get to week one when the season starts in mass. So I'm super excited. Yeah, it feels Likewise. weird to me. Like it feels like I haven't really maybe just because of all the craziness that's gone on in this conference uh, in the past three weeks or so. I haven't really wrapped my head around the idea of like there's about to be college football games on TV here pretty soon. Like just how's how's covering camp been for you guys? Because I feel like you've you've gotten deep into that, and I'm still like uh, I, I I'm I'm still stuck out here covering the chaos. How, how's camp been so far? Well, I mean, from the Oklahoma side, uh, yesterday we got to watch you know, 20 minutes of stretching and individual drills, which was a great, Ooh. nice little return to normalcy. You know, I mean, you don't learn a lot really from those things. Um, I think they're mostly for photographers, but uh, it was just nice because that is something that is usually the signal of it, that it's all beginning. And this year we got to do it just like we got to do big 12 media days. It's like, okay, this, we might actually have a relatively normal season. Now, not that COVID's gone, but it's it's just it's a sure. it's just nice to be that close to the players and that you know in, in that sort of setting. At least that's my uh, my feel on it. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, it, it was uh, like Jason over at Texas. We got the same setup. It's stretch and first 20, 30 minutes. But uh, on Sunday, I was able to go to Texas A and M and had the full open practice experience. So you know, sit out Ooh. there for a couple hours and hang out and watch, and you actually get to learn stuff. So. Uh, even just even just watching guys run around you haven't seen in a while, you can see whose guys' bodies have changed and uh, you know who's got some burst and some wiggle and things like that. So it's really helpful to to just go out and see people and talk to people. You know, I, sp- I spend a lot of time on the sidelines at those practices talking to people around the team. So you get to learn a little bit more about what's going on. So uh, those have been helpful experiences, and it's a really nice after the realignment bonanza. 
it has been a really nice adjustment for me to go back and say, hey, this is actually what we're covering is the football part. I don't know if yeah, uh, it's just sorry, Max. Go ahead, go ahead. I was just gonna say I don't know if Texas has the same policy, but OU has basically said they talk the players and Lincoln talked about the SEC stuff on Media Day last week, and they're not answering those questions anymore. And honestly, I'm okay with it because <laughs> I don't really I, know I, what they can say, and I'm kind of t- you know it's like let's talk about football. That's at least where yeah. I'm at. I don't honestly think the players, the current players, really care that much because I don't. Right. I think most of the current players don't even know when it when it's going to happen, when if they're even going to yeah. play in the league. I mean, certainly your seniors are probably not going to play in the SEC. And then at Texas, B. John Robinson, he's a sophomore. Maybe he will. Maybe he'll play. But if his career goes like it should, uh, he's probably out after next year, after twenty twenty two. So, uh, so you know, it, I, yeah, it's it's something that I think. It'll be there. It'll be a subtext. And I, and I wrote a little bit this morning in an essay about Texas-Arkansas game. Texas is going to Arkansas in week two and how there's going to be that subtext. Now, like, it was always going to be a raucous atmosphere because Arkansas-Texas, and we know the old Arkansas fans still consider Texas to be their biggest rival. And so the atmosphere for that game is going to be huge. But now the SEC news adds another layer to that game because I'm sure at Arkansas or – Wherever else Texas travels, there's going to be cat calls and SEC chants, and they're going to they're going to have fun, the fans are going to have fun with it. Let's not forget that yeah, beating sure. Texas made Brett Bielema feel borderline erotic. Let's not. Oh, you better believe I use that quote in the story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and he had some good ones with Texas Tech too. I remember that'll be yeah. That's that's a good good poll, Jason. Good poll. You know, it it, it does feel a little weird to me. Like I feel like the. Um, you know, usually we would be like at this point in, in the year on August 12th, we would be exhausted of all the sort of preseason storylines and like, you know, what you're covering, Sam, with the, the quarterback battles at Texas and Texas A&M and all that kind of stuff. But there's just been like so many headlines that have stacked on top of this. It feels like that, like one of these days we will have a podcast previewing this Big 12 season, <laughs> hopefully soon. But it just like there's just all these things that 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 seem to be taking priority right now. And and I think you got to start with what happened, uh, you know, on Wednesday in Waco. Um, and and Sam, you you wrote quite about this yesterday. Uh, the five year investigation of Baylor by the NCAA finally wrapped up. Um, you know, minor penalties ultimately. Uh, no no bull ban. No scholarship reductions, no show costs for Art Bryles, uh, not the kind of severe hammer that I think probably a lot of people expected that, that Baylor would get based on severity of what went on there. And uh, instead, the NCAA uh, uh, infractions committee determined that it's not their job to uh, punish sexual assault scandals. That's that's not their jurisdiction. So I, I, I guess let's start there, Sam. What was your reaction when you see uh, the release finally from the NCAA after obviously we've, we've covered this for five years and this cloud has hung over Baylor this whole time to actually see that outcome. Uh, how did it hit you? Uh, I wasn't shocked. Uh, let's be honest. The NCAA hasn't set a high standard for itself. It hasn't set high expectations for us who, who know it and follow it. Uh, I, I don't think I was expecting them to do a ton. And part of it is because we are so far removed from the actual, uh, the actual time frame that this occurred. The, to to punt and they're going to have their Dave Aranda's program is going to have some punishment in terms of recruiting violations. But to me, that's part of the ridiculousness of it is yeah. we're punishing Dave Aranda's program with recruiting violations for something that happened under Art Browse more than five years ago. In some cases, some of these instances happened 10 years ago in 2011. Ago. Yeah. And to yeah. me, that just shines how inefficient and how ridiculous 
the NCAA's uh, pace is on this, on these types of things, especially in this particular instance. I mean, the last hearings were done in December. So we're delivering the decision eight months after the yeah. last hearings where we're on December 14th and 15th in regards to this case. And so that's frustrating. Uh, I, I don't think I expected them to do a ton to the university. I was shocked that really nothing was done to Bryles. And the NCAA's explanation was, well, the campus culture of non-reporting of sexual assault and interpersonal violence was so rampant that we can't say the athletes or the football players benefited or got an impermissible benefit and special treatment because it was so pervasive across the campus. And so I understand the logic, even if I don't agree with it. And my question is, is if the NCAA cannot punish programs for this, who are no doubt doing it for an, a competitive advantage, then what are you there for? As we read in the report, the NCAA is much more comfortable uh, punishing the uh, payment of parking fines. That that's their lane. They're good at that 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 gotcha stuff on uh, the little ticky tack uh, violations, and that's some of the penalties that, that Baylor is dealing with from 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 you know uh, the results of this. But so you know, it's 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 to me it is. And look, I've through through covering this at ESPN and, and here, like I, I have tried hard for five years to just like leave my opinion out of it because obviously this is a very complicated and dark story with, with a lot of layers to it. A lot. We still don't know. Um, but it is a little bit baffling to spend five years on something that at the start you could have said, this is not, this is not an NCAA matter that, 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 um, you know, this is not something that we are, we have precedent or support to actually prosecute. Um, and I think that it, it is, it, it, while it is understandable, it, it is when you actually think about it, it is kind of outrageous, this idea of um, there was uh, no extra benefits given to student athletes because there was no accountability for anybody. And there was no uh, lack of uh, institutional control uh, because in the rule book, lack of institutional control is about athletics department. And while there was clearly a total lack of institutional control, if that's a campus-wide problem, then the NCAA says, well, we can't really call that an athletics problem. It's, it's just that argument by the Baylor lawyers, I, it's it's kind of stunning. I mean, I get it, but it's kind of stunning that that actually worked. It's getting off on a technicality is essentially what it is. I think we all know what happened there. We all know the responsibility that people hold, especially Art Bryles and his program, for allowing it to happen and turning a blind eye. I mean, the things that stuck out to me – when I read some of the things in the report, because also, of course, Bryles, you know, through his attorney is over here doing a victory lab, claiming that he's exonerated. But the report said that he lacked even the most basic human emotion and behavior that you would expect with uh, behavior of this nature, criminal conduct from his players, and that Baylor straight up admitted to the moral and ethical failings uh, that that. Bryles himself, the NCAA seven-member panel, said that uh, head coaches are head to a higher, held to a higher standard, and he failed to meet that standard. And I think that's very telling about you know his incurious attitude is the way they put it. His incurious attitude toward potential criminal conduct by his student-athletes was deeply troubling to the panel. As a campus leader, the head coach is held to an even higher standard. He completely failed to meet this standard. That's the conclusion that the panel reached. And, 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 and then from there they say in, in each of these instances, but there's nothing we can do about it. Right. Exactly. And so it's frustrating, but at the same time, I will, I will say this about 
the entire thing. I applaud Linda Livingstone, the Baylor president, and Mac Rhodes, uh, the athletic director, yesterday for the way they handled it. They stood up there and answered questions, even though this is something that occurred before they even got there. They have nothing really to do with it. They have been a big part of trying to turn the image of this university and turn the behavior. Dave Aranda, in the first 10 seconds of him speaking to reporters yesterday after practice, showed more empathy for the survivors of this assault than Art Browse ever has. And, you know, yeah. mentioned that he, that he had his first thought when he heard the penalties were coming down, that his thoughts were on them and, and what they've endured. So uh, I, I think the way they've handled it in the aftermath, I think should be commended. That they seem, yeah. It seems like from all accounts that we can tell that they have done a better job of shifting the culture, both as a football program and as a university. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's brings a little bit of closure, at least from a Baylor university standpoint to a really dark chapter in its history. Jason, what, what was your response to this yesterday? Um, in, in seeing this, the conclusion of this investigation, I'm just sort of interested in the, the argument that there's nothing they can do. I mean, it was, it was not 10 years ago that, uh, a, you know, an off the field criminal thing, uh, caused Penn State to be completely demolished as a program. And I know that maybe they backed off of that a little bit, but I mean, they, they got that punishment handed down within a year. Like before the next season, after that story broke, they had been banned from bowls. They had their scholarships reduced. All of that stuff had happened. So I guess I just don't understand how they distinguish those two things. Was it because that was an entirely athletic department problem and not a university wide problem? Was it because children were involved? I mean, I really like, I don't, I don't know how they distinguish between those two things. No, I think, I think it's good that you bring that up because I think that the precedent set with that one is that after the penalties um, didn't go well for the NCAA in, ter- in terms of the, the, the fight that they had to put up to defend it and, and, and ultimately relent on part of it. And I, I think the sense is um, that that the NCAA did not uh, take a more severe approach here, probably because they feel um, that they would get sued and they, they would lose. That that, that as as the NCAA, the North Carolina case uh, sort of set some precedent recently, um, you could make the argument: look, this is not an NCAA matter. You know that this is this is a university matter. And so, um, you know, I, I I I'm I'm sure there's a lot of frustration. Um, you know, even within the NCAA, the people who probably put in the work to investigate this to see the the, the people that are that's their job to prosecute it say we can't really make a case here. Um, but it, 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 it as as you wrote last night, Sam, it it does sort of this is hitting at a very interesting time where the where Mark Emmert is saying we need to rethink and reform the NCAA. Um, clearly, to to be as toothless as they are, uh, you know, right now. Um, as they head into this moment where they need to rethink all of it, I, how do you think that that sort of we move forward from this? Do you think that the right thing to do is to to modify this so that there is actual language about sex, sexual violence and partner violence and gender violence and all that, or do they need to just stay out of this? I think that's really up to them. Uh, I think if you are going to purport to be an organization that's about more than just running championships, running a basketball tournament, and hitting athletes and coaches for ticky-tack violations that don't really have a lot to do with the integrity of the game. Uh, if you're going to purport to be more than that, then yeah, I think you should install some type of governance structure that allows you to punish 
for discretions like this one. Uh, because again, why else would football coaches, and I'm not even just talking about Baylor, I'm talking about any football program, why do some coaches and some programs turn the other cheek when there's bad behavior by their players? It's because they don't they want to win games. It's, it's uh, allowing your players to play so that you can win games and so that you can keep everything going. And that's why we have these situations that happen in this way because football carries so much importance uh, in, in the college structure. So if you're going to be the governing body for it, then I think you should have some role in legislating that because it does, it does actually impact the game. It does actually impact the entire power structure. That said, if you want to be just an organization that just runs championships and uh, stays out of the way otherwise, I guess that's fine. Uh, that's something they have to contend with. That's something they have to decide. And I think, again, I, I wrote this in, in my piece, but I think this is coming at a time that makes sense, is that the NCAA, with this constitutional committee they launched, they're going to look at these major changes and they've got to figure out a different governance structure. I think even we've had this talk with the realignment stuff with Texas and OU is with football alone, which the NCAA doesn't really have a ton of control over, at least not at the FBS level. I think it's time for a major governance structure change in the NCAA. I I just would also add, and and I know we touched on it a little bit, but I mean, our Bryle should never coach again. And the idea that he's running around acting like he's been exonerated is so embarrassing and uh, awful. I mean, it's not just that he overlooked all those things and didn't report them. It's that he has displayed no remorse for it at all. And um, I I don't know. I I just, that's the part I can't get past with the NCAA punishment. Because on one hand, I can almost understand like saying, Okay, well, they've completely cleaned house. There's a new president. There's a new AD. There's a new, there's, you know, they're on their second new football coach since then. Okay, we're not going to bring the hammer down on Baylor as an institution, but Art Bryles should never coach again in in college or anywhere. And uh, I just can't believe that they could say all the things that they said about how he behaved and then go, well, sorry, nothing we can do. There is something they could do about him, right? It certainly felt like from from the way they wrote it that the people on that committee would would like to hand down a, a severe, uh, you know, show cause penalty there, and and to give out a five year show cause to you know a, a behind the scenes staffer. I mean, which to me didn't totally make a whole lot of sense. Cl- clearly, that I think there was a thirst there to actually do something like that to browse, but they couldn't. Uh, you know, they couldn't talk themselves into it, which is. Uh, you know, it's gonna be it's gonna be fascinating to see if if as his agent says, if if this is uh, you know this provides or browse the opportunity to to coach in college again. Um, I don't know. I, I think anybody who reads the report would would not come to the same conclusion that uh, that the Art Browse camp did. Yeah. Well, I, I just I can't imagine that anybody. Well, I take that back. Of course, I can imagine that somebody's going to try to hire him. They already have tried to hire him at Southern Miss. So we'll see what happens. But I I really hope that I hope he never coaches again because he shouldn't. I think his strategy is going to be trying to run out the clock, essentially, and get enough distance from this to hope that everyone forgets and moves on. And whatever school may try to hire him is probably going to just try to withstand the backlash and hope that it can. Uh, Whether or not we get to that point. I don't know. I, I would say a few years ago that I thought he was going to return the college game at some point uh, and that someone would 
roll the dice and try to withstand the backlash. But uh, I don't know. Now, after this and uh, in the last couple of years, as after he left Mount Vernon and uh, didn't get you know didn't get a job after that, I'm starting to wonder if he's now been removed from the game for five six years. He's 65. I mean, there's still obviously he's got the passion to do it and all that. But I. I'm skeptical now. I think I don't. I don't think he. I'm starting to think that it won't happen. And uh, you know, I, again, I wrote it in my column. It's Art has been very transparent about who he is. He cares about football, and that's about it. And uh, I think that speaks volumes about who he is. Uh, but like I said, uh, I, I can't imagine another attempt to hire him would go much differently than the Southern Miss one did. But uh, we shall see. It'll be interesting yeah. to watch. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Uh- Bumpy transition here. Why don't we move on to uh, why don't we move on to the state of the Big Twelve? Um, you know, certainly not not a whole lot of uh, like big moves going on this week. Uh, not not on the level of what we saw last week with Bob Bullsby going to meet with uh, the Pac-12 Commissioner George Klevkoff. But uh, you know, from 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 my reporting, uh, the the sense is that 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 meeting went well that um, Bobbles became away optimistic about the potential of a partnership in, in some fashion with the Pac-12. I, th- I think there's not a lot of details hammered out there, but uh, certainly a different couple different ideas and, and creative solutions that, that they've discussed. Now, we'll see if the Pac-12 wants to go in different directions with other conferences. But uh, there, seemed, there seemed to be positive, positive you know, sort of uh, reviews on that. But, you know, the, the, the Pac-12 side of it is a, is a whole different deal in terms of what their needs are. Uh, you know, as we reported on Monday um, in our piece on kind of what's next in the Big 12, you've got the three Texas schools working very closely together and, and looping in Oklahoma State as well. Uh, certainly being betrayed by Texas has has brought those schools together to share information and, and talk every day. And uh, we'll see if, if the Pac-12 decides maybe they'd rather, you know, pursue just those schools. What do you think of that concept, Sam, of, you know, we, we've talked already about how, you know, individually, it seems like each of these Big 12 schools is having a hard time kind of making the case to other leagues that we individually bring a lot of value to your conference. But do you think that bundling up the three Texas schools and potentially throwing in an Oklahoma State, does that does that do anything for the Pac-12, you think? Does that make sense as, as a backup plan for these schools? I think it makes more sense than adding one of them. If the Pac-12 were to look at like Texas Tech and Oklahoma State, for instance, I don't know that that makes more sense than get, keeping those three Texas schools together because if you're going to go ahead and plant your flag in Texas, you might as well try to get your money's worth out of it. And I think Texas Tech, Baylor, and TCU have more value together than they do individually in realignment. And then I think if you were able to to bring Oklahoma State with them, that's a four pretty solid athletic programs. And we're talking uh, a you know a TCU football team that's been pretty good historically. We're talking about a Baylor football program that has been in a basketball program that won a national championship. Texas Tech program that's been there. Oklahoma State has been a model of consistency under the Mike Gundy era, and they are also a pretty solid basketball program and first class facilities. So I think those schools all do those four together make a lot of sense for anybody. I do think they do add value. I think the question is just like all the realignment questions is is it enough value to increase everybody else's payouts in the big 12 if it is is something they do if not then it's not but i don't think it's a futile enterprise to at least explore adding those four schools well it's, it's funny because you hear the the pac-12 folks say oh you know we, we we want sort of members within our footprint that sort of fit us in, in a lot of ways but you look at those four big 12 schools are they really 
that different from Colorado and Utah and the, you know, the last members they, they brought in. I mean, I, I think there's probably bigger brands overall than those schools. Um, and Colorado and Utah have, have also had success in Pac-12 football since, you know, in this decade since joining that league. So um, I, I don't think that they've held that, that conference back at all. So yeah, I, I, I'm with you. I, I think it's going to be interesting. Certainly don't know what the timetable is on, on that kind of a concept of how quickly does the Pac-12 want to move their TV deals up in 2024, whereas the Big 12s is up in 2025. Obviously, the grant of rights is, you know, trapping all these schools to, to stay together here. Um, and, and, you know, what does it take to dissolve that um, is still very unclear. But um, I think it's an interesting possibility. And then, uh, you know, certainly part of that, the, the whole Pac-12 talk that is, is curious is what about West Virginia? And we've talked about them on this podcast before, but, um, you know, from, from my reporting there, the, their point of view is, you know, they, they're not, a, they don't know if the ACC offer is going to come. They don't know if that's going to be on the table. And so right now you have to continue to operate as, as a member of the Big 12 saying, hey, we're in this together. If you're going to talk to the Pac-12, don't leave us out of it. Um, you know, hopefully West Virginia can benefit from from a from a revenue revenue standpoint, if you make that kind of a partnership or merger or whatever, uh, while hopefully having a minimal role from a travel standpoint. Now, obviously, you know that that, it, that that's just super inconvenient. I think everyone in the Big Twelve understands it doesn't make sense for West Virginia to to you know have to deal with these challenges of being tied to the Pac twelve as an East Coast school. Um, could you picture that, Jason? Would that be funny to see West Virginia, you yes. know, playing a, a night game in in uh, at, at Wazoo? Yeah, that's that's exactly what I was about to say, actually, was like a West Virginia at Washington State or Washington State at West Virginia game in conference. Yeah, we've got to stop naming conferences based on geography or numbers. It's just that that yeah. needs to go away. We should just rename all the conferences. Um, but I, I, I completely agree with what you said about, you know, Colorado and Utah are pretty good examples of that. Those those level of schools can be successful and the Pac-12 can add value, can um can be beneficial. And I, and I, to kind of piggyback on a little bit of what Sam was saying, I, I think there's, there's probably a ton of value for the PAC 12 in getting into the state of Texas. I mean, um, at that point, what the, you'd have the, the sec and the PAC 12 in, in Texas. I mean, that's, that's, yeah, that's probably great for recruiting. It's great for TV eyeballs. I mean, all those things are probably good. So um, I do wonder what effect that will have on Pac-12 after dark, if it will have any effect on that. <laughs> um, but it's interesting to get into a different time zone for that conference. And obviously, you've for seen sure, push back like, you know, Stanford is coming to Dallas to play uh, or Arlington, excuse me, to play Kansas State to open the year. And David Shaw is, is mad that they got, you know, the body clock game there at 11 a.m. or 12 a.m. or whatever. Um so I'm sure there's some resistance from that side of it uh, in terms of how, how does this make sense for us. But look, you know, if, if you add the University of Texas, then that gives you the state of Texas from a market standpoint, right? That's that's the only one yes. that's sort of like you can say, yeah, that that actually is doing something for us. But so the SEC is obviously going to, uh, you know, kind of dominate uh, the, the state of Texas from, from, from eyeballs and TV standpoint. But I, I do think there's value of getting the three. I, I, I think that there are, seriously passionate fan bases that would that would that would provide value there i know that baylor and tc are smaller alumni bases but yeah i kind of think it makes sense and and i I think that the 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 thing that this all kind of hinges on is just how how patient are people willing to be because sitting here right now saying oh we'll figure this out in three four years i think for some members of big 12 there's there you just get itchy right you just say like we we can't be we can't be living in this uncertainty and this stress yeah. and the sky is falling for this long a time and so 
does that motivate any members of the Big 12 to, to go to a George Klevkoff, for example, and say, hey, we, we want to be part of this. What do we got to do? Um, now, I, I don't know how that all shakes out in terms of timetable and granite rights and all that, but I can see some people just having a hard time. As much as everyone wants to preach unity and say, you know, the, the, the eight of us are more valuable together if we're united, um, I can see some some sides just saying, we got to do something before we, you know, and 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 be proactive yeah. so that we don't get left behind and, and end up in a group of five conference. I mean, Oklahoma and Texas are, are in the best positions financially and everything relative to the rest of the big 12. And they were, they were thinking about their own futures and they were planning and scheming and all those things. Uh, and again, they're in a much better position than some of these other schools are. So totally, you've got to, you've got to look out for yourself. I, absolutely. And I, I, I know that, Basketball isn't the top consideration here, but it would be fun. I mean, Baylor and Texas Tech are two programs that have been to Final Fours in the last few years in basketball. Oklahoma State's got a got a really solid basketball program. I think they've got a good future with Boynton there. Um, yeah. They just had the number one overall pick. I mean, those those schools playing basketball in the Pac-12 with UCLA and Arizona and, and the like could be really fun as well. I agree, and I want to say, like, as a disclaimer, like, because I get this, I get this feedback a lot, and and it's not, um, it's not the happiest feedback. Um, when we talk about this stuff, there's a tendency to not talk about Kansas, Kansas State, Iowa State, um, and and I don't want to freak people out. I'm not, I'm not trying to say those three are doomed. Nobody's talking about them. Nobody wants them. That that's not the case at all. I I do think it's just the conversation has has trended towards the Texas schools in the West and West Virginia, because I think there's, there's sort of like more logical fits out there that, that I think are worth discussing right now. The, the problem I think for those other three schools is that it seems like the big 10 is not very motivated right now uh, from, from all the reporting we've done and everything we've heard. The big 10 is not motivated to, to go poach these schools. And I'm not saying that can't ever happen. I'm, I'm, ne- I'm never going to say never on this stuff. This stuff is, it's a very fluid process and, Certainly, if the Pac-12 does something, I you know I think I, that could topple some dominoes, and suddenly there is a demand for the rest of these Big 12 schools, for example. Uh, but right now, if the Big Ten sitting on the sideline, it's a little bit harder to see uh, some destination for those three schools right now that that would emerge. And that's why I think for those three, it's it's still the priority is still to to stay together. That the eight of us are more valuable than the you know just a, a faction of three or four. And I think they have to continue to kind of hang on to that. But I'm not saying anything's doomed there. I, I don't want to freak out those those fan bases who because there's a tendency I see in all this to everyone wants to sort of tell themselves, oh, our, our school's actually really valuable and we're we're not being talked about enough, we're being undervalued. There's gonna be suitors. And and I'm not saying that that can't be the case, but you you, you just gotta buckle up. It's gonna be it's gonna this stuff is just gonna take a long time and it's gonna take patience. And uh, uh, I apologize if, if 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 you felt snubbed in these conversations. That has uh, certainly not been the intent of our coverage. And, and you guys know. I mean, if you were a, a diehard fan of one of those, those three schools, Kansas, Kansas State, Iowa State, I'm sure it's it's maddening right now that you're getting, you know, you're, you're getting all this mixed feedback, and you're 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 getting this sense that well, wait a minute, or you know, what if. What if we're not in a power five league? What if we are getting left behind? I, I'm sure it's infuriating. And I feel bad for 
I mean, I, I feel really bad for all three of those schools, like you said, but uh, especially I, th- I feel like Iowa State. I mean, they have they have really finally gotten to where they're really good at football. I mean, they are a top 10 team in the coaches poll this week that came out. Um, they 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 appear with they appear to have a legitimate chance to win the Big 12 this year. And yeah. it, it really sucks for them and their fans that. This is all happening just as they've started to finally a fan base that 100% deserves the the success that they're finally enjoying has to also deal with this crap on the side. That 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 just stinks all around. It does. And this is part of the this is part of the thing that's disheartening about realignment in general is because uh and I always go back to it but I think back to the Southwest Conference breakup in 94-95 and Houston, TCU, SMU, and Rice that got left in the wilderness. TCU, of course, found its way back. But that has really big repercussions on athletic programs. So the fear for any of these schools in the Big 12 of getting left out of a power conference and not being a have and instead getting relegated to the have-nots is real. And because it has a lasting impact on your athletic department long-term and what you can do and what your ceiling is. And uh, like like, – Jason, I feel bad for the Iowa States of the world that who have a really loyal fan base that shows out for its games even when it's not a good team. Even Kansas State, I man, Kansas State's been one of the best uh, home game atmospheres that I've been to. So uh, it's unfortunate, and I hope that all these places find a good home. Agreed. Manhattan, Kansas is one of my favorite road trips that I go on. I I love it there. I I think yeah. their stadium isn't the biggest, but God, it's so loud in there. For sure. For sure. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm very curious to see, you know, another thing we touched on in the story on Monday um, <laughs> is just the, the hurt feelings uh, and, and the real, like the real visceral anger that still is, is very present at the surface for everyone in the big 12 towards Texas and Oklahoma. And um, as, you know, as, as Bob Bowlesby told me um, it's, it's really tough to get betrayed by people that you consider your close friends, you know, in the cases of the eighties there and that he, he still feels they did this as deceptively as they, as they possibly could. And look, there's nothing that Texas and Oklahoma can say or do that sort of smooths that out. Right. You just kind of have to take that hit and keep it moving and, and go off to the sec. It, it's like a breakup, right? There's just going to be that part of it where, where the other side, the scorn side says, Here's all the stuff you did to me. Here, you know, here, here's all the reasons why you're the bad guy in all this, and 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 you just gotta, you just gotta deal with it. What what has that been like? You know, I I think we all know that Texas is used to 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 being perceived as the villain, and as we saw, uh, you know, Jay Hartzell talk to the Texas Senate Committee last week. Sam, he was very comfortable in that, in, in taking all those those arrows. He was he was totally fine with it, confident that, you know, we're hey, we got to take these hits, but we know what we're doing. Is it weird, Jason, for Oklahoma with how respected um, you know Joe C is and how respected just this whole athletic department is? It is it been? I know that it's not something they're they're probably talking about in interviews and stuff like that. There, but has it been weird to see that on on social and stuff like that that Oklahoma is is now kind of villainized too? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's that's been a big piece of this that I think has been sort of 
uh, I don't know if surprising is the right word. And but you just, can say unfairly, right? You can say, hey, they've they've carried this conference for years. Yeah, it's yeah, not their yeah, job yeah. to subsidize all these schools. Sure, they're doing what's best for them. You know, you can you can sort of you can throw out that defense. I'm I'm, I'm not saying that's uh, you know invalid or anything. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's what they did is justifiable when you know when you think when they're thinking about their own future. But uh, absolutely, Joe Castiglione. You got to remember. I mean, this is a guy who is a senior athletic director. It, nationwide. I mean, he's he's widely considered to be one of the best, if not the best athletic director in college athletics. Uh, he's got friends everywhere, all over the conference. People trust him. I, I think uh, you may have reported this, that, uh, you know, Bob Bowlesby considered him to be, a, considers him, considered him to be a very good friend. Yeah. I mean, um, he, he served one, on the one, basketball. One source told me that this whole thing has been very un-Joe-like, the way, the, the yeah. way that it went down. Yeah, I mean, Joe Castiglione was on the basketball selection committee. He was He's on the playoff committee now. He's been on the baseball committee. I mean, this is a man with connections and friends everywhere. And yeah. I thought that really shine through in the Regents meeting a couple weeks ago, because like you said, the OU administration is pretty well claimed up. They're, they're not talking about this much, um, but they did speak publicly, both Castiglione and Joe Harris about, um, you know, the, that they know what impact this is having on everybody else. And they, they don't love it. I mean, I, and even sort of in conversations with other sources uh, off the record, I'm getting the impression that this stuff is really, it bothers Joe how he's being perceived, yeah. but the truth is he he probably he probably knew that this was going to happen, um, yeah. and and I think it's probably the same for Joe Harris. I mean, Joe Harris has only been the OU president now for a couple of years, but he was part of the formation of the Big Twelve. He was the OU general counsel in the mid '90s, all the way up until you know 2007, 2008. I mean, he's got friends and relationships with people all over the conference too. So, um, so yeah, I mean, it's I I I think that it, it absolutely uh, is is a thing and it's probably bothering them. And I think it's probably going to be super awkward until you leaves for the sec. What one piece of feedback I got after that story came out um, Monday was that, that I may be undersold how much people in the big 12 are pissed at Texas and Oklahoma. And that, you know, even within that conference, um, like they don't want to see Oklahoma versus Texas in the big 12 title game this year. Like they, they don't want these schools representing this league even though you 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 want them to stay through twenty five, like you you see, you know, Chris Del Conte is taken off the college football playoff committee as the Big Twelve rep and replaced by Gene Taylor from K State. Like, you know, there's going to be this awkwardness as long as they're in here, where it's like, we, you know, we don't want to hand you the trophies. We don't we don't want we don't want to like, uh, you know, celebrate you within this conference. And I don't know if that's actually going to show up on game days at all. I don't think players care that much about. I think they already hate Texas and they already get up for playing Oklahoma. But do you guys think that's just going to be kind of just a weird undercurrent throughout this whole season? Just that, that disdain for these two schools now? I think from a fan standpoint, when those two schools go on the road, without question, I think you'll hear from the fans. I don't think the players, it's going to matter that much. Like I said earlier, uh, for most of these players, you're not going to end up playing in the SEC. Uh, and and yep. the, these are two programs they get up to play anyway every week. Uh, you know, everybody wants to beat Oklahoma because Oklahoma is the Big 12 reigning champion, and everybody wants to beat Texas. And, and everyone Texas. knows they uh, can beat Texas. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and everybody wants to beat Texas because it's Texas. So I, I don't I, – I think the fan reception is where we're going to see the atmosphere. I think that's where we're going to see the tension and a little bit of awkwardness is is that part. Last thing here, um, Jason, you, you wrote a great piece that, that's up on The Athletic today 
um, I, I thought was a really interesting sort of window into another element of this summer that's just a whole new world. And that is, you know, name, image, and likeness. And uh, you, you went to Chicago to, to tail Spencer Rattler as he went to an autograph signing, a big-time autograph signing. And, uh, you know, this guy is, um, in terms of perception, in terms of like the, what Open Door says, has, has the potential to be the, the highest earner of anybody out there uh, in terms of college athletes, thanks to, um, you know, NIL rights. So uh, take, take the listener through that experience of, uh, of, of hitting the road with Rattler and, and seeing what it's like to, to have this, this sort of big time college athlete, you know, still, still super young guy, um, you know, jump into uh, kind of starting his, 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 uh, his business here. Yeah, it was a, uh, it was wild because first of all, I'd never been to anything like this convention. It's the national sports collectors convention in this huge convention center, uh, thousands of people, all these, uh, dealers selling old baseball cards, memorabilia. I mean, it was super cool. Like I um, honestly, as I was leaving, I thought I could like come back here with my dad and my brother and we would have like the best time ever. Like it was really a cool event, but, um, you get over to the autograph section and yeah, I mean, you, you're talking about Emmett Smith, Barry Sanders and Pudge Rodriguez were all three there signing on the same day as Spencer Rattler. That's three hall of famers. Uh, you know, Rick Flair was there. Hulk Hogan was there. Um, uh, just on down the list. I think, I think I counted that it, throughout the four or five day event, six of the top 10 rushers in NFL history signed at this wow. thing. Wow. And so did the quarterback of Oklahoma. Um, and it was, uh, it was very interesting. Uh, he, he probably wasn't the most popular guy there, but that's to be expected. I mean, he's, you know, he's still, not in the NFL. He still has only right. started one season. He didn't, it's not like he won the Heisman last year or anything. Um, sure. So, but there were a lot of people there that, that I got the impression thought, thought of this as an investment, $150 for a Spencer Rattler autograph. Yeah. That may, that may not be too big of a price to pay in another year or two. So, um, so that was interesting uh, at one point, uh, cause I was sort of embedded with him throughout the day and at one point we're in the back because he did a public signing. Then he did signed just stacks of jerseys, helmets uh, in the back. And at one point we're all sitting back there and the curtain swings open and Emmett Smith walked in to come say <laughs> hello to Spencer Rattler and, and also sort of just marvel. I mean, well, while they were talking, Emmett sort of marveled at the fact that he could do this. I mean, Emmett Smith was a superstar at Florida in the late 80s. What could he have made doing, you know, ads right. and, and stuff when he was in college? And he sort of alluded to that. And so um, it was a it was a really fun experience. And, and, and oh, and, and the other thing, you know, watching Spencer Rattler again, the quarterback of Oklahoma, we just live in such a different world now. He's walking around basically with an entourage. I mean, he's got his girlfriend with him. He's got his his agent with him, who is also Patrick Mahomes agent. Um, mm -hmm. and he's got, uh, you know, his exclusive memorabilia dealer. It was just a weird, I, you know, good for him. It's great that he's able to take advantage of this, but, uh, it was, it was, a it was an interesting thing. And, you know, talking to, to some autograph experts and things like that. One other message that I really was, was told a lot by a lot of people was, um, this is great for the autograph industry because 
that stuff is shady and it has been shady for decades going back yeah. in terms of college athletes, you know, sneaking into hotel rooms or doing it very secretly unless you're Johnny Manziel and, yeah. uh, and, and, you know, sort of bringing it out into the light and making the, the whole industry a little bit more legitimate. That was also sort of an interesting side of it, but it was a great experience. And I really hope people will read it because I think it's an interesting sort of peek into what this world is now, because I can pretty much guarantee you that next year at the national sports collective, convention there will not be only one college athlete there you know and that's that that's what's interested me so much is you watch this play out and we're you know we're only like a month and a half into this whole new era here and a year from now like people are going to be doing this a lot smarter and they're going to be making i'm sure a lot more money but you still kind of have this early iteration of it where people are trying stuff seeing what's worth it seeing what's not you've got um you know, players like I, I saw the Ohio State's big freshman. He he, you know, partnered up with a car dealership and and got a car and all that. And like you, you kind of have these early deals that are sort of setting the tone for here's how much you can benefit or whatever. Um, so I, I agree with you. I think you're going to see a lot more of that next year. One thing that you see, I'm sure you see it in the comments of that story. You're going to see it on Twitter. You hear it from Lincoln Riley. You hear it from all sorts of folks. Is there's there's still kind of reflexively. There's this little bit of wincing where people are like, you know, hopefully he's still focused on the season. Hopefully he's still focused on getting better and training and that the, you know, he's going to make more money if they win a title this year. He should be focused on winning the title and that's where you make your bones, right? So what um a- after watching that and making your own assessment of how engaged or not engaged Spencer Rattler is in his 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 primary responsibility. Like, how would you respond to people on that? Because it does seem like I, I do think fans and probably coaches too are going to have to just sort of get used to that. And sometimes they'll probably be right. There probably will be players that are that are too locked in on it and and not so much on improving. But um, I do think people are. It seems like a little uncomfortable with that initially, just because this stuff is new. Yeah. And I think that's sort of natural, but I would just, I would say as far as Spencer Rattler goes now, obviously I'm not with him 24 hours a day. I was with him for four hours on this one day. Um, and he, and obviously he's not going to tell me if it's affecting his preparation, but, but I don't think it is. And, And the reason I don't think it is, is because, um, you know, I, t- I talked to his private QB trainer, Mike Giovando, a guy out in Phoenix who he's worked with since he was in eighth grade. And, uh, you know, he, he sort of told me the story of, you know, he flew from that event in Chicago back to Phoenix uh, for about four days to be at home before coming back for the start of fall camp. And he flew out there and he did, he met up with his QB guru and he worked on throws. And he, um, now the interesting thing though is he did all that and there was a camera crew and out there filming. shooting an yeah. ad. But what <laughs> what his coach told me was, but that was a real workout. It wasn't like a fake uh, thing that they did for the cameras. It was a real workout. And he really was out there working, uh, even as he was filming an ad with Terrell Owens uh, <laughs> at the same time. So uh, it's sort of interesting how this is going to work. But, I mean, it sounds like he's got a good team around him. He certainly has a good team around him. He's got Patrick Mahomes' agent working for him. Uh, you can't really get much better than that. And so um, he, I think he's got a good team around him. I think that he is motivated to be good. I think he's motivated to win the Heisman, whether he'll say that or not. I do think the Heisman 
uh, is something that he aspires to. I think being the first overall pick is something that he aspires to. And those things won't happen if he lets NIL get in the way. And that's, that's another point that his private QB guru also said is that, you know, we get five or six months down the road, NIL stuff will be small potatoes, and he needs to keep that in mind. And I think he is. Now, we'll see. We'll see if it affects things. But I, I, I maybe I'm being naive here, but I, I don't think it will any more than, you know, Patrick Mahomes doing commercials in Kansas City while also quarterbacking the Chiefs. I, I, I don't see it being a problem, but, you know, maybe it will. I don't know. I don't think I don't think it's an issue. Let's be honest. When the when we training camp starts, which it has, and when the season starts, which it will soon, everybody's to be doing football. No one's going to be leaving practice, skipping practice to shoot a commercial. Let's be real. Can you that's imagine? Can you yeah. imagine? Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> that's not that's not going to happen. I was. It's funny. I was watching last night the uh, Netflix documentary about the Malice in the Palace, and I forgot that Ron Artest asked for some time off to go promote his album. Back in 2004. <laughs> um, so we're not going to have that situation. I'm to watch that. I know. It's, it's, yeah. it's really good. I, I'm, we're not going to have that situation in college football. And honestly, these guys have enough free time. Guys and girls have enough free time in the offseason, uh, you know, because of hours limits. And remember, let's not forget, the NCAA has hours limits, only a 20-hour limit during the yeah. season and the offseason. Like, if you're in summer strength conditioning in football, it's only eight. So, uh, yes, they need to spend their time doing – what they need to do to get ready for their seasons and, and do their academics and all that stuff. But I don't think it's going to be that big of an issue. I think people underestimate how sharp these young men and women are. Uh, I think we've seen a lot of them in early stages of NIL, how creative and sharp some of them are and how savvy some of them are from a business standpoint. I think this is a great, great training ground and learning ground for these, especially the ones who are going to become professionals because it's, it's great lessons in money management. It's great lessons in time management and understanding how to leverage yourself and your brand. I think it's fantastic. And I, while I'm sure it will never go perfectly, I'm sure there will be some hiccups here and there. I think by and large, it's not going to be a big issue. And if you can pocket 20, 30, 50,000 bucks in a weekend, you know, you can make a year's salary just on a weekend of signing stuff. Yeah, do it. I mean, don't do it during your bye week, I wouldn't think, during the season. But I mean, I, I, you know, I, who, who's to say that this is, this is not absolutely worth their time and that, that a guy like Spencer Rattler has, uh, has earned that Jason. Do, was it, was it interesting to you to just sort of, th- to, to sort of not just witness this, but just think about when people talk about, you know, Bryce Young having, you know, 800,000 close to a million or whatever, like is, isn't that a little bit wild to think this kid that you've covered since he was in high school to see that, you know, you know, it happens when they go pro, but to see that already kind of occur I know it did with Kyler too, but to see that already occur before he goes play and, and plays his second, you know, his second full season, to to have that possibility of can you get to five hundred thousand? Can you get to a million something like that? I mean, it is it, it, good for him, but like it, it is kind of wild to see this first uh, first round of these guys uh, capitalize on it. I, I it just you mentioned the Kyler thing. I'd sort of forgotten. Obviously, that was different. He had signed a baseball sure. contract, but it is sort of interesting to think that if if you know he capitalizes as much as he possibly can, uh, there's a chance that two of the last three OU starting or yeah, two of the last three OU starting quarterbacks could have been millionaires on their own while they were in college. That's pretty interesting. Um, oh, Jalen Hurts would have made good money. Sure, no, he, he right? would have, but I'm saying Kyler did yeah. and Spencer might. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, it's, it, we live in a, we live in a completely different world now uh, with this stuff. It was weird to, to watch because yeah, you're just not used to seeing, I mean, Spencer Rattler can't 
legally buy a beer until late next month. And, yeah. and he's at this and he's sitting, uh, you know, uh, on a dais, uh, you know, a few, few seats down from where Emmett Smith was signing autographs, you know um, it, it's, it's just, it's very strange, but, but at the same time, this is what it should be. I mean, this is better. It's better that they can do this. Um, yeah, it's better that they, it, it, it is weird to see them on cameo. It, it's weird to see, um, you know, them, uh, you know, few, few of these other guys doing little things, having their merch stores, that kind of thing. I mean, that's the other thing that, that I get into in the story. Spencer Rattler also has a merch store, which I know a lot of these guys are doing. But I mean, yep. he hired a graphic designer. He didn't designer charge you to, for the interview, right? No, no, he did not. He did not. <laughs> On some of these open doors profiles, they say like I'm available for interviews for pay. So like I just want to make sure you didn't you didn't pay for this access, Jason. You no, know? no, Max, that that goes against my ethics as a journalist. Um, <laughs> okay. Yeah, I, 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 and, and I'm pretty sure the athletic wouldn't have been cool with that either. Um, but no, I, I did not. But yeah, I mean that that stuff is happening. We're seeing that happen uh, at a lot of yep. other schools. I mean, the media outlets that cover the school signing these deals. Yeah. Whether that's a good or a bad thing Texas. is, yeah. you know, is, uh, you know, that, that's up for individual people to decide, but like, it, it is very, it's wild. It's just, it's just totally, totally different. Jason, do you want to tell people what you bought at this convention? Sure. I, I would, I would be proud to, even if you two roll your eyes at me. Yeah. Well, I was right, there. I didn't go into it planning to buy anything. Let me just say that up front, but I was walking around and before, before my interview with Spencer, I happened to walk by this one uh, display where there was a, uh, a, a, a karate gi autographed by Ralph Macchio, and I had to have it. So, <laughs> so, <laughs> so I purchased it. Um, Ralph wasn't there. Ralph right? wasn't there. Well, if he'd been oh. there, I would have failed in my interview. I just would have been around him the whole time. So you would have uh, blown blown off Spencer completely. Yeah, I would have completely ruined the whole, wasted the whole day. No, I yeah. I did buy it uh, because I love that movie and I love that show that's on now. But uh, yeah, I don't have it with me, or I'd show it to you. It's actually I sent it off to Framebridge to be framed. So I'm waiting for it to come back. But uh, but yeah, so. I I, uh, I I went up there and, and bought something myself. Not anything OU related, okay? I, I, I still have my, my ethics, and, and I'm still unbiased. But I can be biased about Cobra Kai. <laughs> Were they selling any William Zabka stuff, or was it, it, was it just Machio? I didn't see William If I'd seen Zabka, I would have gotten that over Machio, honestly. But, oh, okay. Yeah, I didn't know yeah. what side I, you were on there. I'm Team Johnny, completely Team Johnny. Okay. But, uh, but that wasn't available, so... If Ralph Macchio is listening to this podcast, which I'm sure he is, don't don't be offended. I still bought it. <laughs> He's a Big Twelve fan, I'm sure. Yeah, well, he he probably was, you know, listening to the Andy Staples feed already, and now he's he's stunned to learn that he's being talked about here. So this is uh, one of the one of the perks of the the new spot here. So. He's waiting with bated breath on Big Twelve realignment news. That's right. That's, that's I'm, right. I'm sure. I'm sure he's a he's a diehard K State fan, wondering what what's next. Um, fellows, I think that's I think we've covered plenty today. Uh, appreciate your time, Sam. You were juggling children that entire time. I don't know if the listener could even notice. There may be a little trip here or there. How are the kids doing? They're good. Uh, they're good. My wife went to go meet a friend for coffee, and so uh, I am stuck. Oh. Be, I am stuck being dad. Uh, we were double booked today. So yeah, Adrian, my son, is right here. He's been pretty good. He had, a, he had a poopy diaper explosion in the middle of the podcast that I had to go take care of. And so I hope nobody noticed that go. I was gone for a little while. But 
Uh, and then Christopher's watching TV. I don't even know what he's watching right now, but uh, well, I have survived and made it through the podcast, so I appreciate uh, everyone's patience in this regard. You know, it, you know, Sam. In about fifteen years, he's going to be horrified when he finds this podcast that you <laughs> talked about his poopy diaper. <laughs> that's that's the that's our parents' charge, right? Is to embarrass our kids at all costs. <laughs> There's probably thematically poopy diaper explosion. Probably you could sort of weave that through the, the topics that we talked about today. Um, fellas, <laughs> thank you as always. Yeah. Uh, we will. What do you got, Adrian? Are you what are your thoughts? Do you want to say something? Mm. Okay. <laughs> he just ate some blueberries. <laughs> that that sums awesome. it all up, I think. <laughs> mm. <laughs> all right, fellas. Great talking to you as always. Uh, we will be back next week and, and we will be publishing these uh, weekly on Thursdays. Uh, thank you so much for listening. We talked about a bunch of stories that are on The Athletic during this podcast. If you're not a subscriber to The Athletic, you can sign up with our latest promotional offer at theathletic.com slash one true pod where you're going to get comprehensive coverage of Oklahoma, Texas, the future of the Big 12, Baylor, everything else. So now is a great time to sign up and we will see you next time. Thanks so much. Mm-hmm.